It was 1980. That year, Ronald Reagan was president. Uh, the Pac-Man game debuted. I think uh, the Post-it note debuted that year. CNN launched their network. Uh, they're all 24-hour news thingy. Um, let's see, Star Wars 5, The Empire Strikes Back was that year. And, uh, and it was my high school graduation year. How about that? A lot of great things that year. Uh, it was four years later that the movie called Footloose uh, debuted, and it was based loosely off of some events that happened in Elmore City, Oklahoma. It's about 567 people, and there was an article that was written about it, and then they somehow grabbed that and made this movie. What was interesting to me was that just a, a bunch of miles north uh, that very same thing that happened in Elmore City, Oklahoma, happened in my hometown. And uh, we grew up with a town that had uh, no um, taverns, there's no alcohol anywhere in the city, uh, no movie theaters, and no dancing was allowed. And so we didn't have a prom at our high school. Uh, we, what we had was called a junior-senior banquet, and we did everything that you would normally do um, at a prom, except one thing, and that was have a dance. And so uh, we were getting fed up with that. And so when I was a senior and my brother was a junior, uh, there was a bunch of students that conspired and said, all right, we're going to do something about that. And so um, what they would do, which I always thought this was odd, but what we would do is we would hire uh, either a singing group or a cover band. And then after the dinner, we would sit and listen. That's what we would do, just sit there and go, huh, this sounds good. This year, though, they hired a cover rock band. And when they played, and I can remember this very vividly, we had round tables and the teachers were over there to the right. They started playing and the students looked at everybody and we decided, all right, it's time. They just got up, moved everything to the... And they started dancing. And the teachers were livid. But, you know, um, they had good wisdom there. And they decided not to do anything. Well, I was the last person to, to get up and dance because I just don't dance. Uh, but there was peer pressure there. And so, and, and not only that, but I was conflicted morally because all my life I've been taught that as uh, one of the pastors at the Elmore City, Oklahoma, said in the article, there's no good thing that can come from dancing. And so I, th that was ingrained in me. But here I had my friends saying, come on, Kev, it'll be fun. It's okay. And then I had this side. I could hear my parents. I could hear the church going, no, this is bad, evil, stay away. And so I was conflicted. But I decided to throw this away and to say yes to this. So I got up and danced. Mind you, awkwardly, <laughs> one time, I sat back down. <laughs> I was the only one that sat back down. That was Saturday. Sunday came. We went to church, and we sat on the right side by the piano, three rows or three pews back, and we were right in the middle, and the pastor began his message, and a great pastor, but he was misguiding a few things. But he began to just really um, somehow, I don't know how he did it, but somehow he weaved into, and in a small town, news travels fast, right? And so he weaved into this, uh, the thing that happened the night before, dancing. 
And he began to get very, very passionate about the evils of, there's just no good thing that could come from dancing. And then he, as he was um, preaching, he turned and looked right at my brother and I and said, um, two of our very own participated in that dance. <laughs> it's funny now. <laughs> Let me tell you, it was not funny then. And I'm guessing that if you had talked to my mom and dad and talked to even the pastor, they wouldn't remember it. But I did. Because when he did that, I mean, I was an, an, uh, the oldest child, and I lived in a very performance-based world. And when he said that, it struck me deep that I was no good. And I remember vowing, said, I'm never going to be publicly humiliated again. I don't even know if God loves me. I mean, a lot of things played up to that, but that was a very, very significant point in my life. And it really steered me in really how I lived my life. I don't know if you've ever had an experience similar to that. Or maybe you've had intense pain in your life. Or maybe God has just never answered your prayers as a little one, as a middle school, or as a high school, or even as a young adult. Or maybe you lost a parent who was a follower of Christ and you just can't understand why God would allow that to happen. Or your mom and dad were divorced. Or you grew up in a religious home and the mom and dad that you saw on Sunday was much different than the mom and dad that you saw during the week and you just could not reconcile those two. Or maybe you were picked on in high school, middle school, made fun of, bullied, whatever. And it could be a myriad of other things going on. But the bottom line is this, is that you were scarred. And you were unable to accept or believe that God loves you. Not just the future you, but that God loves you now, right now. Or, or maybe you're here this morning and someone, as Travis alluded to, drug you here, said, you need to come to Easter morning. And you view hypocrites, or view Christians as all hypocrites. Maybe it's from past experience, and you just say, man, they're all like this, and I'm done with this. Um, or um, you just have read all the horrible things that have been done in the name of Jesus Christ or name of God. Or um, you've just become disillusioned, whether it's through interactions with different Christians that you've met, or you were a freshman in college and a particular professor just totally um, blew you out of the water as far as your religious beliefs. And you just have said, I'm done with it. It's a myth. I'm going on. You know, life is full of a lot of very, very difficult questions, questions that, um, that I really can't answer some of them fully and questions that may never get um, answered in this life 
And, and there's probably three sets of people here this morning. It's, it's one set that um, has become disillusioned to Christianity. All Christians are hypocrites, so why should I you know, believe? And so they don't know Christ, and that's this set. And then there's this middle set that have probably spent um, their whole life in church, whatever denomination it is, but they don't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or it's this other group that they have this relationship, but it's grown cold. They're, they've, um, you know, whatever it might be, they just have not had that same uh, passion that they once had when they accepted Christ as their Savior. This morning, what I want is I, I want you um, to consider with me, at least consider becoming a follower of Christ Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, either for the first time or to renew that relationship with him, because of what we celebrate this morning, because of Easter. You know, here's good news, that the foundation of our Christian faith is not Christians. The foundation of our Christian faith is not the behavior of Christians. It's not even answered prayer. And it's not even having all of our questions answered on this earth. The foundation of our faith, the foundation of our Christian faith, is what we celebrate this morning. And let me tell you, that is truly, truly good news. We can see that in the, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and we're going to loosely um, talk about John chapter 20 and a few other chapters in those four Gospels. We read that early on, you know, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark and Jesus had been crucified, two men had took his body and they wrapped the body up quickly, right, to put him in the grave before the holiday. And they put him in the tomb. And, and we read that the women came and they knew that if men did it, that it probably needed to be redone. And so the women show up at the tomb wondering. But I don't know how in the world we're going to move the stone away, but I know that we need to redo this, right, to make it proper, make it a proper burial. And so we hear, we see Mary Magdalene, she's coming. And it's interesting, this is so interesting to me, that the first, in the first century, women were not um, respected, were not, um, they were not a credible witness. And it's interesting that, that in all the Gospels, and I think if you were to ask them if, if they could have the choice, would they have put women as the first ones to see the empty tomb? They probably would not have done that because people reading that would have automatically discredited that. So do you want to know why the Gospel writers put uh, women as in their stories as the first people to see the empty tomb? Well, it's because... Women were the first people to see the empty tomb. That is why they put that in there. And so she went to the tomb, right? She went to the tomb and she saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple named John. And she says this, hey, listen, I mean, they, and we don't know who they are, but she says they have taken the Lord they have taken him out of the tomb, and we don't know where he's at. Now, now, why is this important? Why is this important? Because it's important for this reason. 
Because Mary Magdalene did not go to the disciples and say, hey, disciples, he's risen. There's a resurrection. Because, see, nobody was anticipating that. Just like you and I, when somebody dies, they just assume that they stay dead. And so there's nobody there at the tomb going 10, 9, 8, 7, you know, right before the sunrise, because that's when Jesus is going to rise. There was just nobody there, no confetti cannons, you know, no celebrations, no mariachi band or whatever. There's just nothing there. Because they weren't anticipating that. They assumed that somebody had stolen the body. And Luke tells us this is how the men responded to that report from Mary. But they, the men, did not believe the women because their words seemed to be like nonsense. And so they came running to the men and saying that the body is missing. The men didn't rejoice with them and say, hey, praise God. You know, he's risen. They listened and they said, you're crazy. He went to the wrong when he went to the wrong tomb. This is nonsense. But the women were kept being persistent, and so then Peter and John decided, all right, we'll go see for ourselves. And so they didn't walk. They ran to the tomb, and Scripture is with detail says that um, John outran Peter, even though he's the one writing this account. And he gets to the tomb first, and he peeks in, he bends over and peeks in, and he sees the linen and the cloth, but he doesn't go in to the tomb. Do you know why he doesn't go into the tomb? Because it's a tomb. And Simon Peter comes in after him, right? And he just bolts right past him into the tomb, and he sees the linen and the cloth, which is different. The cloth that was wrapped around Jesus' head laying there. A little bit later... Um, John gets enough courage to go in. And, and it's interesting in the text, it says, as John writes, that he saw and he believed. Right? These disciples were with Jesus for three years. And they heard everything that he was saying. And it wasn't because of his, or his crucifixion, his message, and, and all of that, when they began to, when, when John really believed, it was when. It was the empty, empty tomb. You see, all that stuff that was previous played a part in all of this. But the disciples did not re-engage with the message of Jesus. And it wasn't, as I said before, because of the crucifixion. And it wasn't because of something that Jesus taught. But Jesus' followers, his disciples, re-engaged because of someone they saw, and it was Jesus, right? The living Jesus. It wasn't everything else. It was finally because they saw the person had been risen from the dead, and they saw the living Jesus. After Jesus rose from the dead, um, these men went away from him, they, they went away from his crucifixion, right? They denied him. They scattered. And, and when they saw the risen Jesus in that empty tomb and they saw him, what began to happen? They began to get incredibly bold. 
And they began to preach and teach. But it, they didn't preach and teach the, the principles of Jesus or the parables or the love that he had. And this is what we read in the book of Acts. That when they went into the streets of Jerusalem, they had a very concise message that they were telling everyone. And, 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 they're, and they're not just talking to uh, just anybody. They were talking to the people that were actually there at this event, right? And it wasn't 100 or 200 or 300 years afterwards. It's several weeks afterwards. And, and this is the very concise message that they said, as one pastor says it well. He says, you killed him, God raised him, we've seen him, now say you're sorry. In essence... That's the message that they were telling everyone in the book of Acts. Said, so you killed him. God raised him from the dead. And we have seen him in person. Now repent of your sins and in essence say that you're sorry. And one of his messengers, right, Peter, in one of Peter's messages in the book of Acts, um, he says it this way. And just think about how bold he is when he's proclaiming this. This is from the man who, right, denied him and, and um, was really, I, would, I think, had a lot of shame and guilt. But this is his boldness after he's seen the, the risen Savior. He says, um, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. How do we know? Because we are witnesses of this. Messages further on. We see how the people responded to this message. And they finally said, because of what they've been saying and because that they believed that the people had seen Jesus. And they said, well, what should we do then? What should we do? You're right. We killed him. And we believe that you've seen him. You know, the book of Acts talks about over 500 people had seen the resurrect, resurrected Jesus. And so they said, what should we do? And this is what Peter said in the book of Acts. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ and for the forgiveness of your sins. It's interesting. How did the church survive? And how did this movement, you know, keep going through all the different centuries up until now? And, and just a third, some estimates have over a third of the people on this planet call him Lord. I mean, that's a lot of people. How did this all survive? It wasn't because of that someone decided to just um, pr preserve Right, even though that happened, his teachings. Um, because when Jesus died, right, it seemed like everything was done. They were hiding in their houses. They weren't at the tomb. I'm sure they were discouraged in all of that. But what reengaged them, it wasn't his teaching, it was the resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ puts an exclamation point on his crucifixion, really, which is the forgiveness of our sin. So this is what it means for you and I this morning. It means if you are a Christian, your hope is not in vain. It means that when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life, it means there is a resurrection and it means there is life. That's exactly what it means. And it means that the people that, you, that you've lost and the people you've loved, if we can believe Jesus and he told the truth, that you will be reunited, you will be reunited with them one day.
And you know why that we believe what he told us was true? <laughs> Listen to this statement by a pastor, and I love this. He goes, if, if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'll just go with whatever he says. <laughs> and that is so good. Anyway, they believed, right? They believed. When he was with them, he called them to be his disciples, and then there was doubt. And then they re-engaged with him again. They believed again. Because why? Because they saw a resurrected Jesus. This is why, no matter how bad your church experience has been, or how um, horrible the last interaction it was, a business deal that went bad because of something that a Christian did that was not good. No matter what you saw in your home growing up, uh, no matter uh, what you've seen in terms of hypocrisy in the church, no matter how many unanswered prayers you've had, no matter how disappointed you've been with God, what I want to say to you this morning is this. I'm asking that you consider to give Jesus another look-see, a glance, a chance. Right? Not because of what he's taught, necessarily. First and foremost, not that. But because he claimed to have died for your sin. And then he rose from the dead. And he was seen by those who knew him the best. And again, the book of Acts tells us there's numerous people that witnessed his resurrection. And then the people then re-engaged with his message after that. And those that did, most of them died. This is interesting to me. They died not for what they believed. People do that all the time. But they died for what they believed they saw. And that is a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 talks, uh, shares this, this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes, not in his ideas, that whosoever believes in his teachings, or his revolutionary thoughts. No, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him or, or trusts in him, will not perish and will have or gain eternal life. And we know that, right? Not because he's a good teacher, and not because he was crucified. We know that because he was raised from the dead and he was seen. And that's why Easter is the greatest celebration for us um, as followers of him. Going back to my story. You know, I was living in a prison of shame, of guilt, of having to perform and to be good. And it just always seemed like his love for me was beyond my grasp. I was almost there, not quite. I didn't fully, I thought I understood grace, but I didn't really understand grace. I thought I understood love, but I didn't really understand love. I knew, and we're going to see in this video a little bit later, but I knew the textbook Jesus. I didn't know necessarily and experience the real, living, resurrected Jesus. And it wasn't till a little later in my life where God put a young, used another man in my life to show me in Scripture, to show me the real resurrected Jesus. That he loves me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He loves me now, not, you know, all of the past 
and all of the future. And, and I began to taste what life could be in Jesus Christ. And it's like, I don't know how to describe it, except I'm going to describe it like this. It's like going to Amigos and ordering a chicken soft taco with no sour cream, dipping it in their cheese sauce, taking a bite, and oh, it is so, so good. I know that's a poor illustration, but that's all I could come up with. <laughs> I mean, that is... Okay, we're stopping. <laughs> There's a symbol that was part of the uh, ancient church, and you'll see it on the screen. And um, they, you would see that all over the catacombs, and, and people would tattoo this over their body. But um, they would, um, there's this four points of the cross, right? And it's symmetrical. And, and on the left, you would see the IC, and it's the Greek letters for the first and last letters of the name Jesus. And on the right, you would see the XC, which is the letters for the word Christos. And finally, the word, um, I'm not sure how to say this, Nika or Nika. Um, but it's separated on both of the lower portions, which meant victor. And this symbol to them emphasize that Jesus Christ is the victor, that Jesus Christ, the resurrected king, is Lord, and he has gained victory. And that's the message that I want to leave with you this morning, that in his death and in his burial and his resurrection, that Jesus has conquered the power of evil, he's conquered the power of sin, and he's conquered the power of death. And we can have peace and we can live a life that brings redemption and hope to those that are around us. Because why? Because Jesus has overcome the world, Scripture says. And he has gained a victory. And when we give our life to him, when we put our trust in him, and we become part of his family, that we get to experience that, that we enter into that declared victory that our king has won for us. <laughs> That's God saying, bah. <laughs> We do not have to live lives bound by sin and evil. I pray that this story of Easter, this resurrected king, is a story of hope for you. Hope that sin does not have, right, the final word in our life. Hope that evil can be overcome by good. Hope that people can change, and hope that as people change, that neighborhoods begin to change, and cities begin to change, and the world begins to change. And let me just say, Easter doesn't just give us hope for now when we die, or hope for when we die, but or. Easter, the resurrected Christ, also gives us hope for how we live now. So I'm going to ask that you stand with me right now. And I'm going to ask that you, uh, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And I want you to know that this prayer that and I'm going to pray, and hopefully you'll pray with me, doesn't make you a Christian what this prayer simply does is you're expressing to God what you believe is going inside of your heart right now. And then this is the prayer, and it's just simply this. God, I, I believe that your son is Jesus. I believe that when he died, he died for my personal sin. 
And now I'm going to transfer my trust for whatever it is that I'm trusting in right now. I'm going to transfer that trust in you. I'm transferring all that trust that I have in me to what Christ did on my behalf on the cross. I'm going to place my faith in him for the forgiveness of my sins. And you can pray with your head bowed as we're probably taught in church or at your house and your eyes closed or you can pray with your head up and your eyes open. Um, You can change the words however that looks for you and you can pray out loud or you can pray in silence. But what it really is, is you're expressing what you want to have happen in your heart, in your life. And you're saying yes to him. And I pray that if this morning, if the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart, whether you are here, right? And you were drugged here and you just don't really know about this Christian thing. But somehow the Holy Spirit said to you, talk to you this morning and and you want to say yes. Or... You grew up in a religious home and you thought you were a Christian, but you realize now that you weren't, you aren't, and you want to place your faith in him, your trust in him, or I'm asking that you re-engage this morning. If you've placed your faith in him and um, you've realized that your faith has gone cold. And so pray with me right now before we sing this last song. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that when he died, he died for my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead and was seen. And in this moment, I place all my faith in his death on the cross as a payment for my sin. And I'm asking you to come into my life. Welcome me into your family. I love you. I'm grateful, and I want to spend the rest of my life as a follower of yours. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the ability to talk about these things freely in our life and without fear. And God, I pray for those that that for them, this was their moment this morning. This was their time when they were able to seal in their heart, God, what what you've done. And that they would never forget this. And this would begin this journey for them, God, of being and learning and knowing what it is to be a follower of yours. And they could look back and go, this is when I became a son. This is when I became a daughter. This is when I partake in the victory that is Jesus. We pray these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.